You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. We feel like we're with family this morning, with you. We've known Chad and Jay, as you said, for about 20 years. And he asked me to come onto his board. I'm on your board, is that how it describes? To be in advisory capacity as an apostle. And that is our joy. We want to see church thrive. We want to see the bride alive. We want to see the kingdom come. We want to see all that God has for us. And so as long as that relationship is needed, we'll be available to do that. And so I wanted to give a little bit of background about our story because it's part of who we are to you. It's not just an advisory capacity. It's not just helping with salaries as though we we want to do that. But it's actually helping to create the spiritual DNA of what Bayside is because we all have a unique DNA, a unique thumbprint. And so our story kind of goes back to when God called us to Australia. Uh, he called us, you know, we, I used to hear people preaching, go into all the world and preach the gospel. How long have I got? No, I want to be honoring. Okay. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I, I used to think someone should do that, you know, <laughs> someone. And I knew people were, and I was so grateful that it was them and not me. And uh, we'd made a few trips to Australia, and I'd find it very difficult, actually. I'd gone to Mildura, and I'd gone to, you know, Balaclava, and, and interesting places, and ministered in some very interesting churches that I didn't really want to go back to in, in, in a hurry. And, and I, I found it exhausting, and I found quite a lot of the church was quite dysfunctional. And yet, there came a moment in time when I felt God say to me, you go into all the world. And it was a shock. And I remember weeping and saying, well, I don't want to leave my country and my family and my household. And yet that's what God did. And God, you know, brought Izzy around to, to we could be in agreement about that. And we moved to uh, south to Adelaide because that's where Rob Rufus was leading Coastlands at that time, uh, I think. And, um, but that was our connection, was Adelaide. And then in the middle of that time, we didn't feel at home in Adelaide. And uh, we didn't feel that was our base, and we'd put our, you know, our savings into a fixed deposit, and we were kind of saying, Lord, where do you want us in Australia? And we were in Holland uh, at a conference, and our son, who was at that stage just a toddler, our older son, he got really sick, and he was staying with people in Adelaide that he hardly knew, and so we felt very vulnerable for him as a little boy, vomiting and diarrhea and just every hour, and it was just, we felt very... D- difficult that we weren't to be able to be with him and help him. And so I went to our room uh, and we had just spoken to our team a few days before that in London and said, look, we're feeling like we need to go to Sydney. And they all said, that sounds good. We hadn't been to Sydney. We didn't know anyone in Sydney. But when you're naive and, and, and have this, you know, that spirit on you, it's quite helpful to get <laughs> you to go into all the world. And um, they had said yes. And so we knew somehow, somehow that we'd be ending up, ending up in Sydney. Anyway, we got to our room that night just to pray for Jordan, to pray that he got healed and got free of this bug that was causing him such distress. And the glory of God just filled our room. And uh, I don't know if I've ever had an experience as powerful as that, but it was very powerful. And in that encounter, I don't know who turned up, whether it was Jesus or an angel, but I felt if I opened my eyes, I might die happily, but that I might not survive that it was so strong and so intense. And in the middle of that encounter, Izzy went into a trance and she saw uh, a beach, a very specific beach. Now we know that it was Bondi Beach, but at the time we just saw this very specific beach. She saw the sign, the eastern suburbs, a banner 
she saw a polished floor, she saw a wealthy community that we would reach uh, for Christ and the th kind of things he would do. And I just wrote this all down uh, when we came out of the encounter. It lasted about an hour or two. And uh, so then I said to her, you know, I don't know if Sydney has an eastern suburbs because I'm from Durban uh, in South Africa and if you've been to Coffs Harbour or Brisbane, most eastern seaboard cities don't have an eastern suburbs because it's, it's, it's water, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we got back to Adelaide. I bought a map book uh, of, of Sydney, and of course there I saw that there was this beautiful little strip of land called the Eastern Suburbs. And we just knew where to go then. It was very easy. I mean, we didn't have a clue, really, but except we knew where to go. We didn't have a clue of what to do when we got there, but we, you know, we were going to go there with best intentions. And so we moved to Sydney within a few months, and I remember landing at the airport. We'd come from America, and we'd land at the airport, and I had, we had two children, and I was going to uh, fly back to Adelaide, pick up our car, and then drive back, and Izzy was going to look for a house with our little daughter. And I put her in, in Oxford Street, because at the airport, if you look at the eastern suburbs, you can see it goes through this area. And of course, I didn't know that wouldn't have been the best place to put my wife and my little daughter. She phoned me later on and said, "There's people are partying all around me, and it's quite an interesting situation. I won't go into it. And um, <clears throat> that's how little we knew about Sydney and about the eastern suburbs. And God was gracious to us. In the first year, we grew to about 70 people, and people came to our home. We got a venue, and life continued. Uh, and it was difficult. Those first few years were very difficult. We'd lost all our money through an inv our investment in, in Adelaide, went sour. And so we started the church broke, which isn't that the easiest thing in the world either. And, um, <clears throat> but God was faithful to us. When I was singing this morning that song about the faithfulness of God, how he carried us, you know, that's true. <laughs> I'm 57. That's true. Some of you are older than me. But it's true. How many of you say it's, can say it's true? And um, so... Those first five years, we were quite tough, and, and we were kind of looking for who we were. We were trying to find our feet. We were trying to say, are we a Hillsong kind of church? Or we, should we dress up? Should we dress down? Should we have long worship, short worship? Should we, who are we reaching, and who are we? Because I think if we don't know who we are, we can't really multiply and duplicate ourselves. And so you're kind of trying to find your feet. And after about five years, it was 2002, we, we took a trip to uh, Taiwan, we were linked with a number of churches around the world, and we took a team of six people to Taiwan. And um, friends of ours had moved with their family there f several years before that, learned Mandarin, learned Taiwanese, an amazing family, really lived sacrificially to plant this church amongst indigenous Taiwanese people. That gathered about 300 people by the time we got there. And so we'd planned two nights of worship training, two nights of leadership training and two nights of, of evangelism and we would kind of planned our six nights that we were going to do and I had my briefcase full of notes. And the first night Izzy got up in, in the worship and began to prophesy over some of the people in this beautiful church and, and God just fell on the people. I don't know how to describe it in, other ways, in, in any other way to say that God fell on that congregation and they just, people were laughing, rolling, running, people went into trances for hours on end, people got delivered in their seats. I mean, they would just start to move like this, like a, like a clock, you know, like the hands of a clock, and then whoosh, demons would come out, and I couldn't speak for six days. I, I, I couldn't actually give a sermon. There was no point. No one was listening. <laughs> I couldn't be heard. doesn't matter what I wanted to do. It was impossible to actually be heard. And I remember saying to God, I said, God, where have you been? 
Because I've been part of moves of God in the past, in the 90s, and God moved through our city in magnificent ways. And, and when I asked God, where have you been? He said to me, where have you been? How many know that God doesn't move? Yeah. <laughs> if you move house, he still he moves with you. you know, he's, God is, a, is he's, he's always the same. He doesn't change. Yesterday, today, and forever, he's the same. And uh, I remember saying, well, this is more fun than what we've been doing for the last five years. And uh, I went from there to Mongolia, Hong Kong, and China, and then came back to Sydney. And I was back in church that, that Sunday morning, I remember very well, uh, in our building, which is a historic church building. It's got a raked floor. It's got stained glass windows. It's an old uniting church that we've renovated. In fact, Scott Morrison used to go to that church. And I know his father very well. He was an elder in that church building. Not Jubilee, lest you get the story wrong. He moved to Kunala many years ago, but he's a born-again Christian and loves the Lord and is an amazing guy. But um, so I was in church just, and I began to tell the stories of what God did in Taiwan because there were amazing healings, there was amazing encounters with God and how God transformed a whole church in, in, in trans- transformed them in six days and transformed me. I think God took me to Taiwan to reach me. I went to reach Taiwanese people, and he went, wanted to reach me. <laughs> Just a, another perspective. <laughs> and so while I was testifying, about 10 minutes into the sermon, I heard this, this sound, doom. And there was a, a gentleman standing at the back of the church, just standing and listening. And he just fell over like a tree, like a pine tree. Boom. Another one fell. Boom. Another one fell. Boom. Then I remember a man sitting in the front row with his wife, quite a conservative, well-dressed. He's a, you know, got an MBA. He's a, he was a director of uh, TNT, the, the transport company. And he just fell out of his chair and started crawling over the floor. He went from sober to drunk in, 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 in one second. I looked at him, I thought, that's a sign and a wonder, because he would never do that in his right mind, you know. And he doesn't know he's doing it either. He's not even aware of it. And then the meeting slowly disintegrated into something that I couldn't control. I think I lost control of the church. I was quite happy about that because I hadn't been doing very well controlling it up till then. And uh, I went to the Lord after that and I said, Lord, that was fun. That was amazing. Can we do it again? (laughs) Please. (laughs) I just want you to move. And he said to me, Hold on to the hem of my garment. That was his word to me 17 years ago at Jubilee Church on a Sunday morning when nothing much was happening. Hold on to the hem of my garment. It isn't up to me. It's up to you. What is your expectation? What does your faith look like for this season? What do you want me to do? Because I can always move in power. I will always move if you give me room to move. And that just changed my life. It changed my perspective on church forever. Because I knew that God hadn't changed. And that what had happened is that I'd become discouraged. I'd lost my faith to see God move. I'd, I'd burnt out probably, to be honest. I'd lost my vigor and my fire and my energy to, to give God room to move. I'd become conservative. <laughs> That's hard to believe. That had happened to me on my watch. And, I, and, I, and I'm the father of the work. And I, I, God wanted to change me. And I got revived in that six days in Taiwan. God changed my life. 
And I haven't been the same since. And, and I don't think there's been a Sunday since then that God hasn't moved in some demonstrable and profound way. And why I'm telling you that is because nine years ago, God took us back to Holland. This time we went to a church that's a mega church. It's, a, it's an amazing church. And uh, it's, it's doing incredible things for God. People are getting saved. And there's an, you know, it's an amazing church. And um, the, the leader of that church had seen God do some things through our lives at other conferences. And he was like, will you come and do that in our church? I said, well, I can't. I haven't got a switch. I wish I did. But I'll do what I can. You know? So we came. And it, it was a little awkward. Our mixing with that congregation was a bit awkward. And I remember him in the middle of interpreting my message saying, where's the joy? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't got it in my pocket, you know. But I didn't say that. I just said, I haven't got a switch. And, uh, and then I had a call for people who were struggling with depression. That's the felt what I called, you know, a thousand people there. About 60 came forward, and we prayed for them, Izzy and I. And people went out for coffee, and there was a lot of ministry and deliverance happening over these people. And then, just like someone did flick a switch, the people that were weeping began to laugh and roll and flail around. And, and it's, but no one was there to see it except me and Izzy and the people who were getting the joy. <laughs> and God doesn't care either because he just wants to get the job done. Amen. And uh, I just lay down on the stage and I was so grateful that God had showed up. And then I, and then I felt footsteps go past me, you know. And next minute, bam, the band starts up and I was startled because, you know, to me, we'd just seen Jesus arrive, but they had a schedule. And I was a little bit frustrated by that. But we went back to our hotel room that, e that afternoon. And so Izzy was having this conversation with me. She's saying, Finney, where is the, the church that carries the presence of Jesus and the awkwardness of that? Because when Mary carried Jesus as a teenager, we know that she was young, inexperienced, vulnerable, probably being criticized by the people around her quite openly to say, you know, who's the father? And, and no, it's not Joseph. And they would be mocking that. They would be like, yeah, you know, pull my other leg. That, could, that couldn't be true. And so there was this Jesus carrying the reproach. I mean, sorry, Mary carrying the reproach of carrying Jesus. And what would the Mary church look like? That was our conversation in our room, just talking about that. What does the church that's happy to carry the reproach of the presence of Jesus look like? And then God turned up in our room again. And I had to close the windows and doors because I don't know if you've ever heard intercession and or, or, or wailing. If you've been in a, in, a, in a maternity ward, and I've been there six times, <laughs> it's loud. It's loud. She was wrecking with, with the, the motions of giving birth. And she was on the bed and she was saying, pray for me. I said, I am praying. And, 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 and she was... She thought she was going to die. She went into a counter where she saw the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and they breathed, and this light came through her body. And, and then she's saying, pray for me. And, and then I am praying, and then I'm praying. In, 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 and she says, you're praying in fluent Greek, and I'm on the Isle of Patmos. I'm saying, okay, that's good. <laughs> what are you doing on the Isle of Patmos? And next minute, she's face-to-face -face with John the Apostle. Face-to-face -face with him. And all he said was her. He had the sunburnt, beautiful face, just radiating Jesus. And he just said, 
love one another. And then she was transported and she saw this vision of two rivers. And one was a fast-flowing stream. It had rapids. It, it, it had twists and turns and could go through villages. And it, it was twisting and turning and full of life and energy. And then there was another river. It was the main stream. Slow-moving, dependable. And the Lord said to her, this is the stream that you're in. It's a fast-flowing stream. It's unpredictable. It's rapids. It's going to twist and turns. And he said, and he saw, he, he, she looked into the future and she saw those streams, they, get, they, they meet. It's the same river. It's the same Jesus. But that's what we were called to. We were called to this river. And then she saw the end of time and she saw this magnificent, uh, she saw the 12 apostles. They had their back, her back, their back to her. And they were looking into this, into time. And there was a banner that said, the age to come. And the Lord said to her, these apostles are looking into the age to come, which is the age that you're in. And they're cheering you on. They're the cloud of witnesses. They're looking and wishing that they were part of what you've seen in your day. So here we are at the, the age to come, and God's giving us this vision, and it was, it was hugely impacting. We were, that was about two hours' worth, and we, we... So I was praying in fluent Greek, because Izzy was on the Isle of Patmos, because that's what they speak <laughs> in Patmos. And uh, then she asked the Lord, what, is this, what does this mean? What's the purpose of this vision? And he said to her, the first time I brought you to Holland was to birth a church. That's Jubilee Church. It's our church in Sydney. The second time I brought you to Holland was to birth a movement. And we haven't really talked about that much since then. That was nine years ago. Because it's difficult to define something that you, I don't want to overdefine. I don't want to found a movement as movements have been in the past where it's defined by an administration, a wineskin that has authority structures and has things that denominations have become. And I love denominations. We're working at the moment with the Salvation Army, mentoring two officers in the Salvation Army in their, within their organization, a new church plant, a church plant in, in, in Maroubra, a church, uh, an evangelist up in the Central Coast, we work with Movement Day, which is a national movement of unity within the churches. I love the mainstream. Do you hear me? I'm not like, if we're in the rapid, Rapids kind of river, the mainstream is kind of, you know, whatever. And I, I have no criticism in my heart for any part of the, the Church of Jesus Christ because the Church of Jesus Christ is the Church of Jesus Christ, not the Church of Finney. Do you understand that? So I honor the whole body of Christ. I love the mainstream, but I'm not in the mainstream. And I'm, tr I'm trying to give you this message today because I'm trying to help you understand what, what you're part of. We're not a mainstream church as much as we love the mainstream. You're not a mainstream church. You're not called to that. There's a distinctive about you that you need to understand and embrace. It'll help you to flourish and be more of who you can be. Because if you're going to move in signs and wonders and prophecy, 
That's what happens in the rapid flowing river. It's unpredictable. It's rapid moving. It's full of life. It's, it's, it's got, in the banks of the tree are full of the healings of the nations. There's leaves, there's, there's growth, there's, there's fire, there's wisdom in that river. And if you embrace it and say, I, I wanna, I'm in that river, that's part of what we are. And our movement is not defined by a headquarters or by some area managers. It's defined by relationship. We're friends with Chad and Jay, and that gives us access to this beautiful church called Bayside Church. And we've come, I've come to serve you and to blow wind into your sails and to encourage you to be all that you can be and to release any blockages, any, any captivity, any things that might be lacking, I come to make up what's lacking. That's what apostles do. They come as servants to serve the church, not as masters to lord it over the church and tell them what to do, but to release what's already there, to encourage, to help the church to flourish. And that's why I've come today, because that's what I'm part of. That's what we're part of. It's a movement of love. And that's what love looks like. Love doesn't look like criticism. Love doesn't look like taking notes on why this message is not good enough or why that church isn't good enough. Love just loves. It's uncomplicated. Come on. I don't know. <laughs> but what, what, you know, I mean, I told, this, I told that story I told you this morning, last week, at a movement day church, uh, gathering with probably... 80 leaders from all over the nation, from different movements. And I said, if you can cope with this, I want to share with you something that caused me to come as an African to Australia to build, because we, we love Australia, sometimes more than I think Australians do, because I hear Australians whinging about Australia. I'm like, travel a bit. Just travel a bit. <laughs> come with me. <laughs> I'll help you to appreciate your nation a little bit more. Oh, my goodness. Just to make this a legal service, I want to read from the Scriptures quickly. Cause... <laughs> and it comes from Ephesians 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Say Christ and the church. Paul was talking about marriage, and I might talk a little bit about that. But he says it's a d profound mystery. Say a profound mystery. Now, when I read the word profound mystery, I think it's probably a profound mystery. In other words, the mystery is to be explored the mystery is to be looked into the mystery is to be is to, i don't I like i don't say to myself well that's a mystery it's too hard no it's the it's the role of of, of kings to unlock the mysteries we're not meant to god's not keeping that revelation from us he's keeping it for us but we have to explore it which is why you've turned up this morning to explore with us the mystery of christ that's been revealed to us and if people are, are, are living in less than what they could be in Christ, it's because that aspect of Christ has not yet been revealed to them. In the mainstream, many people don't pray for the sick. They believe it's all passed away with the apostles. They, they do. They teach it. It's in 90% it's in of, of seminaries is the supernatural, 
the fivefold gifts, apostles, prophets, and pastors, it's all, it's all passed away with the apostles because that was the primitive church and it needed help. I'm telling you, there's sick people here this morning who are going to be healed because we still need the signs and wonders of the early church. Come on. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I've never been to a church service and I've been a Christian for 40 years that I haven't seen people healed or needing healing. Not everyone's been healed, but a lot have been healed. Well, because he hasn't changed. Jesus said, if you believe, you'll do the things I've done. That's not rocket science. That's just simple Bible truth. And yet many Christians don't live in it because it's safer not to. If you don't pray for someone, they won't get healed. They won't get worse. <laughs> and you won't be embarrassed because nothing happened at all. But if you take a risk, and faith is spelt R-I-S-K, if you take a risk, they could get better. I was in a cafe around the corner from the church, which was my other office. And uh, the, the owner of the, the restaurant, his name's Sam, he was bowed over. I hadn't been there for a while, and I, I didn't know that he'd been a crook for five months. He'd, he had a, a bulging disc in his spine, pinched nerves. He was considering surgery. When I asked him what the matter was, he said, look, I've spent thousands of dollars on physio, acupuncture, uh, and I'm considering surgery, but it's so radical, I'm nervous about them damaging my spine. I said, I can fix you. Well, because I'm a believer. Not because I'm an apostle. This is for believers. Because that, that aspect of Christ has been revealed to me. I can do these things. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I'm praying for you. So I gave him a few testimonies, because testimonies are prophecies. Testimonies prophesy. So I said to him, I was in Cairns last week, and I prayed for a Qantas pilot's wife. She had been in pain for one whole year. Couldn't sleep at night. I prayed for her in front of the whole church. Her leg grew. She got healed. And she slept for the first time that night for a whole year. I said I was in, in, in Melbourne a few weeks later at Hope City Church, and a woman had, had a, for 20 years, she had walked with a pronounced limp because she had a, a disc missing in her spine. God put it back. She ran around the church completely normal with no limp after 20 years. And I said, Sam, it's your day today. He's like, okay. He's unchurched. He doesn't go to church. He still doesn't go to church. I prayed for him. One minute, I just said, in Jesus' name. I sat him down, measured his legs, prayed for him. His leg grew out. He stood up perfectly straight for the first time in five months. And then every time I went to the cafe after that, he would be telling people in the tables all around the cafe, hey, this is the guy that healed me. I'm like, Sam, it wasn't me. I was just a delivery boy. I just brought this to you. I didn't do it. I just brought what God had for you because God loves you. And their hearts have been torn wide open to the gospel and to Christians. They had disappointment, as, as many people have, Australians. Disappointment with church. Disappointment with things that happened in a previous church experience. But God's love reaches out to the lost to find them. And one of the best, best ways to reach people is through signs and wonders and prayer. I was on a bike ride yesterday morning with a whole lot of, of guys. And uh, one of our, my young guys who came with me from our church, different churches, C3 churches and that, we were riding together our motorbikes. And this guy was like, I had this torn thing. Daniel just says straight away, can I pray for you? First thing that comes to him, can I pray for you? I'm like, this guy's got it. 
He's got it. Now, you see, if that aspect of, oh, so, and then they, have, you know, they haven't charged me for coffee ever since then, which is awesome. <laughs> I worked out that saves me about $2,000 a year. <laughs> Jesus. Holy. <laughs> Anybody else need prayer this morning? <laughs> But there is this mystery, and, and my whole life I've been un unlocking, unpacking the mystery of Christ and the church, the mystery of the bride, the, the beauty of the bride. Because if, we read, if you read on with me, to the, later on in that, in that chapter, it says this. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Before I push on with that, just if you're married, husbands, love your wives. How? So glad you asked. Like Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He laid his life down for the church. Again, it's not rocket science. I see marriages failing and doing badly. I'm like, Christian marriages. And I'm like, have you loved your wife yet? Like Christ loved the church? Oh, you don't know my wife. She's a rat bag. She uh, doesn't love me. You know, she doesn't meet my needs. And I'm like, I didn't see that part about you loving your wife when she meets your needs. You see, because if your wife's a rat bag, probably it's because you've been such a rat bag yourself. You haven't loved her like Christ loved the church, because loving your wife like Christ loved the church, it means laying down your life. Laying it down. Like, how can I love you? I once brought my wife, I was an American, I bought her a beautiful bag, a, a limited edition handbag that looks like a harp. And she hated it. <laughs> she was like, why would you spend all that money? And I'm like, I'm so stupid. I'm like, I'm just trying to impress her, get her a musical instrument. She's a musician, a collectible item. It's numbered. And she hates it. You know what that is? It's me trying to love her the way I would like to be loved. It's not her love language. Gifts are her love language, but she prefers op shopping. She wants me to take her shopping, which th that is laying down my life right there. I'm like, we'll go to a market, we'll go to a stop, and, and like, how does it look? Great. Buy it. <laughs> Two hours later, we've circled around shops, markets, we come back, and she buys it. And I'm like, I told you. But it's, it's no, it's like... We, we, we want to love people sometimes how we want to be loved. We've got to learn the language. And there's, see, that was for free this morning. That wasn't part of my message, but that, that, that'll help you have a happy marriage, I'm telling you. That will work 100%. That was a good, for wives to say amen, that would have been a good point for you to say amen. So he gave himself up for her to make her holy, the church, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, you see, the way I see it is that Jesus has this bride, the church. We're part of that bride. Bayside's part of the bride. And he's ravishing us. He's loving us, like this morning, with his word. He's loving us, lavishing us with worship songs that reflect Christ. He's lavishing up us with Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit turns up, he's making us beautiful because we know that we have spots or wrinkles. But he doesn't want us to focus on the spots and wrinkles. He says, leave that to me. 
I will, I will, I will deal with those things. I'm going to wash you and make and prepare you to be this beautiful bride. And, and nothing came to me so clearly in this illustration as when I saw my daughter married just three weeks ago. My oldest daughter, beautiful uh, young man that she's marrying, and I get, you know, she gets prepared at our home, and I'm told that I can't come in until she's ready for me. They've been up since 5.30. I've got four daughters, so they're all bridesmaids, and there's makeup artists and hair people in our lounge room, and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's beautiful chaos. Uh, there was no drama, which was amazing. But anyway, they were there at 5.30 in the morning. I heard the doorbell go, who is coming at 5.30 in the morning? It's a makeup artist. Anyway, so by one o'clock, 12 o'clock or whatever, wedding was at 1, I'm allowed in to see my daughter for the first time in her dress. Ha! Oh, breathtaking. She's written me a little handwritten card. trying to get it out. <laughs> I'm hopeless. She has cufflinks on the cufflink. It's engraved. You're the first man I ever fell in love with. You can't make this stuff up. It's, 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 it's powerful. Walked down the aisle, you know, crying all the way down the aisle with her. Kissed her goodbye, and then you know they. I was I was doing then doing the vows. So my associate pastor did the ceremony with the worship and preached a message, an amazing message. And then I got to that point where then I got up to do the vows because I'm the celebrant. I have a license. So, and I knew this would happen because I'd done the rehearsal with her, and I knew that we're going to get to this point where I get to say, "Who gives this woman to be married to this man?" <laughs> And she was like, Dad, whatever, just say whatever you want to say, you know. <laughs> so I just, I just said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And it, and it just got really uncomfortably quiet. Because <laughs> I'm looking around and people are looking at me and looking at Izzy and, and I, even, even Tana, my daughter, was like, and I said, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone laughed. But it... But it but what, what I'm saying that is that here's a beautiful bride, and I want to tell you today, that's how Jesus sees you. He doesn't just love you. He's in love with you. you. You're becoming more and more beautiful every day that you're in His presence. Every day you're under the, the Scriptures. Every day that you wake up and you walk I want some of your beautiful bays here and just spend time with them. You're becoming more and more beautiful. And I'm going to read you just a couple of passages from the Song of Songs to encourage you. That it says, He brought me to the banqueting house, which is in the Hebrew is the house of wine. And his banner over me was love. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For the winter is past. The rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. And I felt that part of my message to you today, as some of you have heard, as I prophesied over you, is that your season's just changed. Today. I'm just announcing it to you, that it's changed. And you can wake up tomorrow and say, oh, it's just the same. Or you can say, I received that. 
as a prophetic word. And I can activate that right now. Because I have experienced those revivals in my life, when, like I've described to you, when God met with me. And five years of fatigue, five years of burnout, five years of just making ends meet, five years of just saying, Lord, where, where are you in the middle of all this? God turns it like that. Fire, glory, power, love, whatever the encounter is, because they're all from God, and He knows what we need, and that's why everyone's encounter looks different. Don't look at someone and think, I wasn't shaking like that person. I wish I would. They were laughing. I'm the person who always cries. Just be yourself. And if you never cry, be yourself. Don't compare your encounters or your relationship with Jesus with someone else's relationship with Jesus. Let them just relate to him and just say more. And just get on with your life. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So announce the time of singing. I just think I, I, I'm in a time of singing now. I'm in a season of singing. It's November the 11th. And I came into a season of singing. I came into a season of awakening. I came into a season of, of release. I came into a season when the shackles broke. And I, we sang it this morning. I came into that season and I'm in it now. Watch out. Watch the space. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to, I'm going to believe. I'm going to take out those prophecies that I've kind of put on the shelf. I'm going to revive them and say, Lord, is there any way I can position myself better to receive these promises that you've made me? Because that's what it looks like when the season changes. And you're in charge of your seasons. You're not, you're not a victim of a season. Season doesn't come like, oh, I'm just in a season. I'm in the valley. I'm in a valley season. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Well, don't build your house there. Don't move in. Don't settle down. Just keep walking. Because you're meant to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and come out the other side. And like, whoa, woo, we're out the other side. Wow, that was terrible. That was disgusting. That was dark. That was a nightmare. I've been there. I've been in the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> I've seen some of you there with me. And he says this in the same, in the same song. It's Song of Songs 2, verse 4. Chapter, verse 4 and then 10 to 14. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. What that means, and often we would think about that, that must be Jesus. His voice is sweet. His, no, he's, this is the, the groom speaking to the bride. Look at the context. He's saying your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. That's what the bride radiates. When she's becoming this radiant church without spot or wrinkle, she realizes she's that. And so she's happy and free to sing and to worship and to express her love because she knows that when she sings those songs, Jesus, the groom, is on tippy toes and is like, just with one look of your eyes, you ravish my heart. Our eyes looking to him. When you postured yourself this morning in worship and said, I'm going to worship God, and some of you were dancing, and some of you were singing songs, and some of you were just singing in tongues, and some of you were just wondering what's going on. And some of you were just, you, you were in worship, you postured yourself. He was responding to every, every song, every sound, every whisper. That's how he feels about you. And I've come all the way from Sydney to tell you how much he loves you, and how much he's in love with you. And how much your future is going to be golden and full of 
good things. The plans he has for you are to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. I told you we started in Sydney broke. We lost all our money in Adelaide. God bless that company that went insolvent. And it was tough. And the Lord said to me in the year 2000, save that money back that you lost. Because sometimes we think that if we're going to prosper, if we're going to have a breakthrough, if we're going to have a restoration of something that's lost, someone's going to give it to us. And it can happen that way. But God said to me, save it back. That's a word for someone here who's lost money, lost an inheritance. Make it back. Make it, do something to make that money back again. Don't wait for it to come to you. It's a good word. So I did. My wife and I were very diligent. We took our kids out of private school so we could save, that would save us you know, huge amount of money every year. And in three years, we saved all the money we lost back. And we had $40,000. And we were living in a house that, that uh, the owner was an Anglican priest, Anglican minister in Melbourne. We had never met him. And my wife said to me when we first moved in in 2001, write to him and say, if he ever sells the house, wouldn't he give us first offer of refusal? I, I said, well, what will we buy it with? You know, in 2001, we had... $100. But I listened to my wife, one of the few times I got it right. And I wrote to him and I said, Hey, Paul, my name's Finney, I'm your tenant. And here's a couple of CDs of our music. We're planning a church called Jubilee. And thank you so much. He reduced the rent by $100 a week. And thank you so much. And if you ever want to sell the house, won't you ring me? Here's my number. I didn't hear for three years, four years. 2005, he gives me a ring. Hey, it's Paul. I want to sell you the house. You told me you wanted it. I said, how much is it worth? He said, I'll have it valued and fax you the valuation. Remember faxes? <laughs> so he faxed me the valuation of 1.3 million. How much did I have? 40,000. 40, Good. Was I a bit short? <laughs> and then he says to me this line, which I'll never forget. He said to me, but Finney... My wife and I want to tithe to you. We want to give you our tithe. And so we're going to take 150000 off the price. I'm like, number one, I didn't know Anglicans tithe. And number one, why would he want to tithe to me? He's, ne he's never met me. He said, you're the third generation of ministers who've been in that house, and I want you to buy it. I want to help you buy it. And I knew that was God. God was restoring the years the locust Eight, he was restoring the money I lost in Adelaide. Because God saw that. He knew there was injustice involved. And God is a just God. And he will replenish. He restores the years the locusts have eaten. He will give us back what's been lost. If we have faith. If we don't get cynical. If we don't get angry. If we don't... You know, there was a man involved in, in that loss of money in Adelaide. He went to that church that I was involved in. And the first thing that when the money went down, the, the gurgler, God said to me, you phone him and tell him that you forgive him. You'll never hold it against him which I did. I had his number in my phone. I said, Sir, I want you to know that I'll never hold it against you. If you can pay it back, that'd be helpful. <laughs> but I'm not going to hold it against you. Why? Because if you hold a debt to someone or a, or a, a resentment, it actually traps you. I, I don't want to make him my, my stumbling block. The long story short, 
we bought the house. And it's gone up $100,000 every year since then, or more. And God restored our fortunes. We helped our son buy his first house this year in Maroubra. Come on. It's a sign and a wonder. God restores. God's faithful. We have to be faithful, and he's always faithful. He's faithful, we're faithful. Why? Because that's how marriage works. He's faithful, we're faithful. And if we don't lose hope, if we don't lose courage, if we don't give up, if we don't grow weary in doing good, the, the results will come all by itself. Even while we're sleeping, God's blessing us. He's scheming ways to bless us. He's looking for ways to surprise us. And I want to finish with this verse in, in, uh, in John Something I forgot to tell you when um, Izzy had that encounter. The first thing she went into in Holland was she went to the cross. Jesus took her in this vision to the cross where he was on the cross. And John, the apostle, and Mary were together. Remember that John was, at, John was the only disciple who was at the cross. The other disciples had all fled. And she said in this vision, Jesus was looking at John and he was about to say those words, John, behold your mother, Ma, you know, mum, behold your son. And she said, in the, where I was there at the cross, John was holding up Mary. She was distraught. It's hard to picture what that would look like to a mother seeing her son on, the, on a cross. What does a mother go through? It's hard to, but she said she was completely beside herself. John was holding her up, and that's when Jesus said, Behold your son, behold your mother. The context of that was that she knew, he, Jesus knew that Mary would be looked after by John, who was a man of encounter, and that John one day would end up on the Isle of Patmos in these amazing revelatory encounters that he had in heaven. And Mary, he would understand Mary because Mary had treasured the things in her heart that she had seen Jesus do as a man of encounter. And he put them together. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't Jesus amazing? So I'm going to read this from John. It's, about, it's, it's from the Passion Translation. Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished. And to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby, so they soaked a sponge with it and put it on his, the stalk of hyssop and raised it on his lips. When he had sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, that phrase, it is finished, the Hebrew word is, sorry, the Greek word is, Aramaic word is kala. It's a homonym. Do you know what a homonym is? Homonym is a, is a word like, like book. You can read a book or you can book a flight. Same word, different meaning. Sounds the same. Well, the other, a homonym for the word kala, it is finished, completed, is the word bride. So as Jesus was on the cross, Releasing his final words, it is finished. The, the sacrifice is made for all time. He was also saying, and it's for you, my bride. I've, I've already made you perfect in righteousness. And you know, when I look at the bride today, there's two things I think of. One is the internal beauty. And that comes from what the Bible speaks of, robes of righteousness or the gift of righteousness. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
It's inside. It's my inner beauty. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How beautiful is that? I'm not trying to get it. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I've got it. Those of you that know Christ here today, you've been made the righteousness, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You, you, you're robed on the inside with that beauty. How amazing is that? And the outer garments are the garments of praise. It's what we do. It's how we respond. It's how the bride loves the groom. It's how we express ourselves. And I can't think of a better picture than, than, than watching Jay worship this morning and twirling like a child, like a, like a daughter. The freedom of that. So I want to encourage you today. Release your inner beauty, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and release your outer beauty. Not just in church services, not just when you come on Sundays, but in the shower, in your car, when you're walking along the bay. Release your song. Release your sound. A time of singing has come. The beautiful bride is a happy bride. The beautiful bride is a radiant church. And he's making you radiant because you came this morning to be made radiant. To be encouraged. To receive healing and ministry. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Well, that's, that's me. I've got a couple of things I wanted to pray for this morning. I thought God gave me. First one, is there a, someone here called Torben? I don't know anyone by, by that name, and I got that while I was praying. Could be for tonight. I'm at Tree of Life. Is there Patricia here tonight, today? Well, that's successful so far. <laughs> Remember I said to you that faith has spelled risk. One of our team had a phone number last week. No one responded to that number, but I encourage them to keep stepping out because I have seen extraordinary, extraordinary words of knowledge that have identified the, the model car, the make, the year the accident took place, that person gets healed, and I'm just going to keep taking risks. I thought there'd be somebody here who needs to get healed of migraine headaches. Is that anybody? Just want to step out? If, if it responds to you, just come out and stand. I'm not going to pray for everybody. I'm going to have a team do that, but I'm going to pray for a few. Anyone here got kidney problems? I don't know what that means. Anyone struggling with their kidneys in some way, an infection or an ongoing issue that you need medication for? Anybody here with chronic back pain? You got chronic back pain? Are you able to stand? Otherwise, I can come to you. Just come forward if you've got ongoing chronic back pain. Um, if someone's here has struggled with depression to the point where you've actually thought, I don't know, 
if it's worth it. I know it's a difficult thing to respond to, but I've had many weekends over the last few weeks where I've prayed for people who've got completely free. Depression is a spirit. It actually comes at you, and it can, be, it can leave as well. Not you, not who you are. So depression. Um, tinnitus. Anyone struggling from like a ringing in your ears? If you just come forward as well. And before I want to, before we start praying for this as a team, because uh, I mean, all of you could pray for these people. Do you get that? I'm going to pray for two or three. It's a bad model if the person ministering prays for everyone because then you get the idea of this mentality of a superstar coming in and we're just the plebs in the congregation. We have no power. You have the same power that I have. I might have more practice than you, but you have the same power, same Jesus. You plugged into him, I'm plugged into him. Amen? We encourage you. Do this at home. Pray for each other. Practice it. Practice it in the cafes. Practice it at school. Practice at work. If someone's got a headache, just say, I can pray for you. What's the worst that can happen? Nothing happens. They're not going to get worse. Amen. <laughs> All it can look like is it looks a bit awkward if they don't get healed. But many people do get healed. And then their testimonies will start to flow in the Sunday services. And every week at our church, we have testimonies of people who got healed during the week, at work, on the bus. They're the best ones. Amen. But here we are today. So part of my ministry is to equip you to do the work for the ministry. Each one of you are ministers. Competent ministers of a new covenant. Amen? So, I wonder if I can say this to you. Just everyone looking at me. No one buying their heads. Maybe today you've come, and I don't know if you're a visitor, because most of you I've never met before. But maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you haven't yet transitioned from just knowing about him to actually knowing him and the bible says this that he stands at the door of our hearts and knocks and he says it in revelation 3 if anyone hears the knocking and opens the door he'll come in so he knocks which is what he's doing right now he's knocking we hear the knocking and we open the door. He doesn't open the door. He doesn't barge into our lives. He doesn't push his way past our defenses. He knocks gently. Not pounding on the door of your heart. He's just knocking on the door of your heart. Do you want to make him Lord? Because that's your decision. Then if you make the decision, he comes in and everything changes. We've had some extraordinary converts in the last two months. A young French girl, she's a professional uh, athlete came to church radically saved and healed from the age of seven was having nightmares and demons visiting her room she's got completely free and testifying about it on sun last Sunday just came to church her roommate brought her to church maybe you came to church this morning and today is your day of salvation you can expect your whole life to change so if that's you just where you are just say put up your hand and say, so that's me. Everyone's looking around. I'm not, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I also don't want you to keep your commitment secret. <laughs> Just put your hand up so I can see it and say, that's me. Thank you, ma'am. Do you want to come forward? I want to pray for you. It's going to be a good day. Does anybody want to join this lady?
just come out. What's, what's your name? Jody. Jody. So we're going to pray a prayer with her. So let's just say this out loud where you are. Just say this prayer. Jesus, thank you for knocking on the door of my heart. Just pray with me, Jody. Here I am, responding to that knocking. I say today, come in. Be in my life. Be in my heart. Be in my home. Be in every part of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make everything new. Thank you that today old things have passed away. Everything is made new. I'm a new creation. I'm your child. And no one and no thing can pluck me from your hand. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Let's bless the Lord. Come on. That's so exciting. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.